0: Dave,
1: hey, Lyle. hey, how you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you? Sorry about that. My, uh, my anchor app was having some difficulties.
1: No worries at all.
2: Yeah. Thankfully, we seem to have gotten past the anchor issues with our last podcast. So yeah, thank welcome everyone to the next episode of quarantine today. We hope you all had a great Easter weekend. My name is Dave Taylor. I'm here with Nick. And we are pleased today to be joined by one of my closest friends in college, Lyle Carrera.
1: Hey, how's it going?
2: Yeah, good luck. Not too bad. So, just as a quick reminder, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addicts, we're working on Google, um, resolving the issues there, and Anchor FM. And yeah, uh, Nick, is there anything else to add before we get started? Yeah,
0: um, I apologize in advance if my service is a little laggy here and there. I think my phone's going through some problems, but um, I'm really looking forward to having you on, Lyle, talking about uh, uh, the pocket constitution and everything that you and Dave got to do to get to know each other. Again, my name is Nick kader and as Dave said, you can find us on a variety of different platforms. So yeah, Dave and Lyle, take it away.
2: Definitely, yeah. So I guess just to... um give the people a brief introduction of how Lyle and I know each other. So we have been friends going back all the way to freshman year. We are in a couple of clubs together called APO, which is a service fraternity, and the J2 Law Review. And this past semester, we got to or this previous fall semester, we got to be very close. We both did a public policy fellowship in D.C. called the the Atchison Public Service Fellowship in Government, I believe, but Lyle will know the official title because he's basically the ambassador for the program now. And uh,
1: you got it. That's the uh yeah, that's the title. Yeah.
2: And we lived um we lived in this apartment six guys in there. And I guess Lyle, do you want to brief the people a little bit on the program and what we did this last semester?
1: Yeah, so uh if any of you out there are uh political science students or other social science students you'll know that most of your classes are mostly based on history theory, stuff like that, a lot of kind of a lot of readings about kind of the development of political studies and of uh, political theory throughout uh, human history. Uh, but there isn't usually much there on application towards public policy. So the goal of the fellowship is to be a really a public policy intensive semester for students. Uh, students live work, eat, breathe, sleep in the nation's capital, Washington DC for an entire semester. Uh, they take, uh, I think five or six courses specifically designed to give students both hard skills like writing and, uh, data analysis that can be used in think tanks and policy shops, stuff like that, as well as, um, just useful frameworks for analysis in terms of, uh, different aspects of policy, like economics, organizational theory, stuff like that. Uh, students also get the chance to intern in, uh, take an internship of their choice in D.C. Uh, and yeah, they, it's just a really cool experience getting to be in Washington, D.C. And uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, last, uh, last fall semester was a very turbulent and interesting time to be there, uh, especially for myself and some of our colleagues who are on the Hill. So, yeah, it was really just a good time getting to know Dave's and some of the other guys, getting to, you know, be a, just a little bit of a mover and shaker. I'm uh, probably overestim- overestimating my own influence, but just having a lot of <laughs> professional fun in uh, DC. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, in a minute, that's a great point. I'm going to want to talk to you more while I was working in the office of Congressman Stephen Horsford during the entire impeachment trial that happened this past fall. And um, has some very fascinating insights from that, but first, just kind of a funny story from the last semester. Um, so there were the six of us. We all lived in this apartment, and Lyle and I were roommates in one room. But there were six of us. who all shared a common room and a common kitchen. And something that happened um, is we all learned one another's cooking skills. For example, Lyle is one of the best cooks, perhaps like the very best cook that I know. Like just top of him and Cyril, that were both of the roommates. They're both top-notch cookers. Could cook a variety of, like, cuisines and um, for all meals of the day. But um, there were people like myself who were less than skilled in cooking certain things. For example, like, I learned at the beginning, uh, you're all going to judge me, but I learned how to cook pasta starting the semester. <laughs> and eventually I, I got much better. I've learned how to cook chicken and short ribs and a whole bunch of things. But the funny thing is that we all had this paper um, hanging on the wall. And it had each of our oh, names, <laughs> and yeah, we had this we had this paper, and um, it was a tally, and it was a tally of how many times each of us had set off the fire alarm, and um, I'm pretty sure Lyle either had the lowest or um, one of the lowest scores because he is a seasoned professional, um, but I I think I actually had less than you'd expect, but our friend Sam, I believe, led. I think Sam, who's now the president of the student body at Johns Hopkins, I think he. I think he was he led the way in that, right?
1: Uh, I have pulled up right now. Oh, you have it, yeah, up? I do, Dave. You have the second most with three, and Sam had five. Okay,
2: yeah, that, oh. that about makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: I guess the story behind that is, you know, uh, in the first few weeks, a lot of us. I mean, for some reason. Uh, We all really wanted to use the oven. I don't know why, uh, but we all just happened to be cooking a lot of dishes that required an oven, whether it was, like, I don't know, cookies, finishing off meat, stuff like that. Uh, Cyril was a big baker. um, Oh, yeah. We make a lot of pastries and kind of bake gratins and stuff like that. Um, There was just something with our oven, man. It must have been something on the inside of it, like some residue or something just kept burning, and as soon as you'd open it up, but a 50-50 shot that the smoke would make its way to the alarm and set it off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as the, as the semester went on, we started using the oven less and less. So kind of the rate of the rate of us setting off the fire alarm kind of went down. Uh, but rest assured, I don't think we ever actually lit anything on fire. Fire.
2: Yes, <laughs> that is true. We never had a formal a formal um, thing that would warrant the fire department coming. But we had a variety of other sketchy dealings that happened not with us but with other people in our apartment building i remember with um i remember there was like a shooting at our apartment which was super random that they didn't really notify us about but then we just everyone survived so that's why i'm mentioning it but um we were just hastily notified of the shooting that happened at our apartment and apparently the room the urban legend is that the person who was shot called an uber to take themselves to the ambulance because they didn't want to have to pay for an ambulance was that the guy that got shot in the butt yeah, that's it. That's the guy who I was thinking of, yeah.
1: Yeah, so there was, I guess, like some sort of dispute between two people, two guys in a room, and uh, I guess one guy pulled on the other. The other dude ran yeah. away and uh, got got a bullet in the butt for his troubles. Yes. <laughs> okay, I
0: just I have to add in, I'm sorry, that's hilarious because you're in Washington, D.C. Forrest Gump vis- visits Washington, D.C. He also got shot in the he butt. He also got
1: shot in the butt. That's
0: yeah, yeah. The, the connections are uncanny. Just uncanny <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> Nick um, do I remember correctly I think we were talking about this before did you also learn how to cook pasta
0: this year is that also true oh yes as embarrassing as that was um this past year at school I was trying to learn how to cook and yeah I learned that you don't put the pasta in first and then add the water you uh, put the water in first and then wait a bit and then add the pasta not both at the same time okay
2: okay that makes me feel definitely better because Nick is a very competent
0: adult i
1: guess dave there's a reason why
0: we're doing this podcast together yeah (laughs) i mean
1: mean, like look it's not that out i mean i I will never make fun of someone for trying to pick up a new skill maybe i'll give them a bit of a hard time like i did dave but (laughs) i mean i don't even think that's that much of a mistake nick i mean with rice you put you put the water in with the rice at the same time uh with pasta you don't so it's not like a hard and fast rule for things that you boil
0: Thank you, Lyle. Yeah, thank- I like Lyle a lot, dude. See,
1: I, Lyle, I understand. He, he
2: just has a way with people. He's like, he just, um like, I don't know, Lyle, I've, always since I've known him, I always think that one day, if you ever want it, you'll have a great career in public service. Because he can just, has such a way of just kind of, like, disarming people and making them feel at ease. So, like, I think that's why if you ever run for Congress or anything, like, hopefully one day this podcast can be the earliest possible archive of an interview with you. So I guess um, kind of on that track, do you want to talk a bit? Lyle worked for um, his congressman, Stephen Horsford, on the Hill and any anecdotes that you'd like to share with the audience.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I guess like, see, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a tough question because kind of internally in the office, like most people on the Hill, we kind of like to keep a few things kind of low key. Yeah, uh, for sure. But I will say that in general, it was a very interesting time uh it's my personal member of congress Uh, i live in the district that he represents uh it's a very diverse district uh including parts of northern las vegas as well as all of uh central rural nevada it was actually designed after the 2010 census in that round of redistricting to be like the swing district in the state of nevada and that's really been the case it's been around for a few cycles now, and it's gone. Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Democrat, and no one person has had two consecutive terms in that uh, in 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 that seat. Uh, so, as you can imagine, kind of the um, navigating the impeachment inquiry was very interesting. And as you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, when you call your member of Congress or your senator, more often than not, the person who answers the phone. Uh, is an intern uh, like me. Uh, And so, first of all, I will plead with you, uh, don't curse at us. We're not the ones to make the votes. But also just, um, you know, generally, that is is just a very interesting experience for us, especially for someone who lives in the district as I do, because it really gives you a kind of ground level view of how public policy impacts people's lives. Or at the very least, how they perceive it as impacting their day to day lives. Uh, so, not just in terms of the impeachment inquiry, but all sorts of issues uh, like public lands use, energy, healthcare, things like that, things that are very important to people in my home state and to my community. Um, yeah, it was just really interesting. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I would say another interesting thing too um, – I've never personally worked on – I worked on the campaign, but I've never worked on the Hill before. It's something I definitely want to do in the future is if you're a political nerd, it just seems to be like – well, it literally is the mecca of seeing um, the Congress people you're familiar with from cable and local news every day just on a um, personal basis, I guess. And one thing that Lyle became very famous or infamous, I guess, around Hopkins um, is that he is the proud owner of a pocket constitution – and he, bring, I believe you bring this with you everywhere you go, right?
1: Uh, only places where I'm either wearing a suit or just general, like, pol- pol- political nerd business. <laughs> usually, <laughs> those, usually those two things intersect, but sometimes they're some, sometimes they're separate categories.
2: That's very fair. That's very fair. And, yeah, so he's had this constitution, and I would say over the past couple of years especially you've had a lot of very noteworthy additions to this constitution you've had a lot of very high level politicians I'd say sign the to sign it and would you say that there are any stories that particularly stand out to you from um, people signing your constitution
1: yeah yeah um yeah so this pocket constitution it's it's a it's a real beautiful blue leather bound book uh not one of those little pamphlets that you can get from your member of congress office or your government teacher's office uh But it's it's uh it's it's got a few pages in the front that have just got kind of you know a red and white stripe design where I decided, you know, I'm gonna be in Baltimore, less than an hour away from DC. Uh, Maybe someday I'll even be in DC, Uh, and I did obviously, as we talked about earlier. Uh, So why not use it as an autograph book? Uh, It I kind of carry it especially for for political business, uh, just kind of like as a reminder of what I really like about this because for better or for worse, I'm very much a political idealist. And while I know that there's not while well, that not everything is, is perfect. I think that at the very least, the cons- the concepts, the ideals in the constitution, they're, they're pretty neat. So I carry it around and use it as a, as a signing book and uh, as an autograph book, but also as that kind of a uh, reminder to myself, but yeah, one, an interest, uh, one really funny story comes to mind. So it was the last few winding down days of my, uh, hill turnship. and as you can imagine, I was very busy that semester between a, a lot of policy work in uh, on the hill as well as in my classes. Uh, so I hadn't really had time to kind of, you know get signatures. Um, but in the last couple of days, there's this spot where members shuttle to and from the floor for votes. Uh, and if you stand there, you, the press stand there so they can get hallway interviews. But if you're just an employee who stands there and I'm pretty sure you have to be an employee, not just, or at the very least accompanied by one, you can't just be a guest walking in. Mm. Um, you'll be able to see all the members shuttling from that room out over into the floor. Um, and so I decided, decided that I would use kind of, I would take up a little bit of time to just stand there. And get signatures. And so I got some I got I got a few people. But the one story that stands out to me is uh, the Democrat, the Democrat from Ohio, uh, Representative Tim Ryan,
2: former presidential candidate, Tim Ryan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, where the story starts. So Tim Ryan, for those of you who don't know, he's as far as members of Congress go, fairly important, fairly, I guess, famous. Uh, he ran for president this cycle. He challenged Speaker Pelosi for the speakership a few cycles ago. All in all, I, I, he, he's in the news fairly often for policy work. Uh, I, I, I think among members of Congress, he's certainly one of the more well-known ones nationally. Um, he's also—he's also just a huge guy. When I saw him in the hallway, I, I don't know exactly how tall he is, but he's a big dude. Like it's just cra- it, it, Like it, it's kind of intimidating. But I was like, hey, uh, Representative Brian uh would you mind signing a pocket constitution and you just you could just see this guy's face just just light up he he looked like a kid in a candy shop just as giddy as giddy can be and he's like well yeah of course i'd love to he takes the pocket constitution and he signs he says to lyle tim ryan and he writes underneath in parentheses ohio you know as if someone yeah as if someone who uh walked up to him and clearly knew his name, knew who he was, wanted to, wanted him to sign his memorabilia. Didn't know that at the very least what state he was from. I, I guess he was kind of surprised at, you know, just getting recognized and getting, and I guess having a, so fanboy a little bit over him, the story, <laughs> the story doesn't end there. Um, so a few months later, actually a few weeks ago, uh, uh, I at Hopkins, we're lucky to have the services of uh, and the wisdom of former Maryland senator and real legend uh, Barbara Mikulski has lectured in a lot of my classes for in both in political science and in public health. I think Dave's had a few lectures with her as well. Uh, yes, I have in IEP with Lieberman. Yes, yes, Intro to American Politics. Well, I I, I had her uh, for a guest lecture in uh, Sociology of Health and Illness uh, as she's an associate professor, I think, at, the, at our Bloomberg School of Public Health. And so after the lecture, I was like, dude, I got to get this person's signature. I got to get Senator Mikulski's signature. She is probably one of the most legendary figures in modern Maryland politics, a real trailblazer for women in politics, women in the Senate, and just really a champion for public health in particular. She's a real health policy wonk. Uh, big fan of hers, so I go up. I'm like, oh, "Senator, could you sign a pocket constitution, please?" Kind of, you know, all nervous. there's like, "Yeah, sure." She takes it, she signs it, and I watch the first two words that she writes to Tim. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I look at. I, I keep watching as she signs it. Uh, she's writing a little note, and I notice that above her signature that is Tim Ryan's signature. <laughs> oh so it becomes a, it becomes apparent to me that Senator Mikulski has thought that my name, not only thought that my name was Tim Ryan, but this implies that she also has no idea who Tim Ryan
2: is. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So,
1: I mean, I guess to some level, uh, Congressman Ryan's reaction might have been a little justified. Uh, uh, Yeah. Um, So now I guess it's my pocket constitution has two Tim on it. Uh, so that is going to be an interesting piece of the puzzle if and when I uh, ever, you know, display or pass this down or do something with this constitution.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So it looks like we are coming to the end of the segment. Um, wow. Thank you so much for coming on to the, po- the podcast, first of all. And before you go, is there anything um, you want to plug in particular or anything you want to say?
1: Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me. I've had definitely a lot of fun. Uh, anytime you guys want someone to spit uh, to spit some spicy hot takes, you're welcome to invite me. But yeah, uh, something that I do want to plug. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, the economy of my hometown Las Vegas has really been kind of hurt by this uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, there's uh, for good reason, not a lot of people traveling right now. a lot of events have been canceled, the hotels have been closed, and a few hundred thousand uh, of my neighbors, of my community members uh, have lost their jobs with countless more, uh, be have their having their hours reduced, being temporary fur, temporarily furloughed, things like that. Uh, and so there's a nonprofit in the area, Three Square Food Bank, which helps with food insecurity in the uh, Las Vegas Valley. I'm looking up their website right now, but Three Square Food Bank of uh, they provide uh, meals not only to people who are food insecure, but also to public programs such as summer camps at the local rec centers and stuff like that. Um. And so uh, if, if, you, if you're able, if you've got a bit of a moment, I urge you to go to threesquare.org and, um, you know, just them a bit of a donation or maybe plug them on your social media, that kind of thing. They're a fantastic organization. And I know that at least for my hometown, uh, it would mean a lot. But if you aren't, if you don't want to donate to a food bank all the way in Las Vegas, I do urge you to kind of look and see what sorts of services you can donate food or money to in your area if you're financially able uh, I know that there's a lot of people who are kind of hurting right now because of the epidemic. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's just, I guess the the main thing that I want to plug. Uh, but also if you want, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Lila Carrera, only good takes, never bad takes, always hot takes. Uh, but yeah, uh, big shout outs to Dave and Nick for having me on.
0: Thank you so much Lyle, for coming on. Thank you for that amazing plug. That's a very very inspiring plug that you've plugged out there. Is it, um, three, the, the number it is, is
1: uh, the word three square.org T H R E E S Q U A R E.org.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Lyle. It was great to have you and we will definitely plug this. I'll see you. Hey Dave, that was an awesome guest you had on.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much to Lyle Carrera for coming on. Um, pretty fantastic interview. And I guess, yeah, do you want to just uh, transition to part two of the pod now?
0: Yeah. So for our listeners out there, this is what we call the heavier segment. Uh, first off, I want to talk about uh, Dr. Fauci versus Donald Trump. I, I didn't mean to say it like that, but Dr. Fauci and Mr. Trump. Um, so as you may have heard by now in the news, they saw we, we saw that Dr. Fauci said that if action was taken earlier, cases would be lower. And Donald Trump, retweeted a post uh, with the hashtag fire Fauci with more stuff in front of it as well. Clearly, this made a lot of people worried that he might be fired and made Dr. Fauci worried. However, today he rephrased his statement and readdressed the public by saying that the administration took action as soon as it was recommended by him and another doctor. So a lot of people are kind of concerned and are not sure whether or not this was because Dr. Donald Trump made him do it or because he actually thinks that way? Because at the end of the interview, a reporter was like, did Donald Trump make you do this? And he said, no, I volunteered this information. Don't even imply it. Dave, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I think the case of Fauci versus Trump, um, as some people are calling it, is very interesting because you have Dr. Fauci, who's been in this position for the past 30 years, I believe. He's um, I believe he was appointed either by Reagan or President H.W. Bush. And I believe it was Reagan. President Reagan, yes. So he has really been this apolitical expert who has been providing expertise in our government for a long time. And as a result, he's one of the few people in this government who has bipartisan credibility. However, it's very difficult net being a technocrat in the Trump administration because you feel this pressure to agree with the president and have to praise him in order to stay in his good graces. So I would not, I would certainly, I'd say this is a bit of a cause for concern. Cause I think there's not zero chance that Fauci is fired. I think more likely all the likely more likely would be that he is demoted to a position of lower influence, maybe no longer brought to these press briefings as much. I think this has already started to happen, um, which honestly is fine because the press briefings are a waste of time, in my opinion, when they should be working on, more vigorous solutions to the the economic and public health crisis crises at hand. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's scary to see these technocrats such as Dr. Fauci self-censoring to stay in Trump's good races. But I, I guess we'll see, I guess, I don't know, like Nick, what, what do you think personally about um, his Fauci censoring himself, I guess, in a way? Well, personally, I believe that,
0: I like to believe people when I can, but then again, a lot of people don't always tell the truth. So in this case, we're, I'm not really sure. I think that regardless of what his original intention was, this was probably the wise move, move by Fauci to kind of denounce what he said earlier, to make himself more credible and that way stay in Trump's good graces, because I think the public needs someone who has that bipartisan relationship and not someone who's just one-sided Because we need someone everyone will listen to, not just one side. And Dr. Fauci is that person. So I think Trump will find it in his heart to forgive him, especially since he apologized, essentially, or rephrased his statement. And Trump really does need someone who's very good with politics, knows how to turn a question into an answer better than others, better than people who might slip up. So I think he'll keep Dr. Fauci. And I do agree with you. I think these press conferences may not be the best use of time. I think a lot of people could learn a lot more about the virus and how it spreads and how to counter it if they would spend more time on research versus these briefings.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
0: And just a kind of um, interesting story that happened in the
2: past week or so. Um, This is um, kind of I would say it's tangentially related to Dr. Fauci. Um I'm currently taking a class called Global Security Politics. Um and it is about um essentially if I were to give a dumbed down description of the course, it's about all the potential ways the human race could go extinct. And just by a sick coincidence, very sick coincidence, we our topic one of our topics was pandemics last week. Um and this was in the syllabus before the coronavirus, just terrible coincidence. And one in in one of the course readings, um one of it wasn't the author of this reading was not himself, Dr. Fauci, but Dr. Fauci's research was cited in this paper, which was obviously um, produced before Dr. Fauci achieved all the acclaim that he has for his response to the coronavirus. So just, I guess, is further testament to the fact that he has been an expert in this field of um, fighting disease for such a long time now that he is someone who I think everyone can have confidence in heeding whatever recommendations
0: he has. It's interesting that you bring that up, Dave, because I don't know if I mentioned this already on a podcast, but Bill Gates in 2015 had a TED Talk about the next global catastrophe or event that will ruin countries is a pandemic. And he talked about it pretty well in depth about how the current health systems in place for different countries wouldn't be effective and that we needed to start addressing it then. Obviously, nobody really believed him at the, at that point. Because there's no we've we've been suffering because of the coronavirus today, um but I just think it's interesting that there was more than just one person predicting just a few years ago like you said a few months ago that a pandemic would be what would ruin us at at this time
2: yeah, I think yeah, that's really interesting i know we t- we talked about that with um Bill Gates mentioning this pandemic scenario, and I know even like a year or two ago probably if you asked almost anyone in this country a pandemic would be bottom on one of towards the bottom of a list of potential threats to america's um i guess both national security and both and um more broadly just our way of life and disruption to our economic system but after this i think hopefully this can serve as a really stark reminder of the need for america to shift its priorities um on an international scale um there's a really interesting piece in The Atlantic by Ben Rhodes, who said that this should serve as this coronavirus should serve as a wake up call that we need to move on from the 9-11 era of foreign, pol- foreign policy and move more towards a new era where we focus on issues like fighting global pandemics um, and being more prepared for them, uh, fighting the existential threat of climate change and um, countering threats from um, increasingly authoritarian regimes such as China and Russia. And hopefully maybe this can serve as a wake-up call to, um, to I guess, move on from this focus on terrorism, which honestly, in my opinion, seems that we've moved into a new um, stage of world history.
0: Absolutely. Um, so moving on from this subject, I wanted to touch on another subject from the perspective, again, of two college students who take classes with, work with international kids from – Many different countries, one of those big countries being Saudi Arabia. Now, a group member of mine working in one of my class projects said that next week he's going back to Saudi Arabia and that it's kind of tough right now, but he's getting government documents to be able to travel back to Saudi Arabia. I'm thinking maybe they might be closing off borders for a little bit to prevent people from coming in or leaving to keep the spread from spreading as quickly as it has been and I don't know I I feel like this could have a big impact on the fall semester let alone the the summer semester obviously which is mostly online for many schools but the fall semester namely I feel like could be different when many countries are going to have to go through a lot of paperwork a lot of procedures and a lot of different obstacles to let their students come back to the United States to, to study in schools that they've been studying in for the past uh one, two, maybe even five years. So Dave, I- I'm curious to you know, you- you've had a lot of international kids, I'm sure, as as I have as well, that you've met with, worked with, and become good friends with. What do you think this is gonna do to international students and just the way that they can come back to America?
2: Yeah, Nick, I would say that's a great point. Um
0: we are definitely a school that
2: has a lot of international students. Um, they comprise a huge part of our student body. And I know that, for especially for people living in different time zones, this crisis um, poses an untold number of new difficulties, both in tuning into class, um, staying on top of their schoolwork, in addition to just um, taking care of their families. And I would say that that doesn't even get into the crux of what you just said, which is eventually hoping that these students will be able to get back to the United States and other countries where they may be studying once this pandemic is over. And I think that it's going to be a challenge, um, as are a lot of things after this crisis, but it's going to be a massive infrastructural investment, I think, to make sure that um, international students can feel confident and safe coming back to the United States and that we have systems in place so that they won't need to be rapidly displaced again. And I even know that um in our program that Lyle and I did, we had several friends, um, Cyril, Constantine, and Evgenia, who were all students from Seance Po, which is an exchange. They were exchange students from France. Um, The school was in France, and they've all had to return to their homes in Europe. And they were expecting to send this semester. Um, they spent it with us in D.C., and they were expecting to send it in Baltimore. But now they've had to transition to this completely remote environment and for everyone, this is a complete disruption of their plans. And I don't know, like how have you seen this impacting the student body at Mines?
0: Oh, it's definitely been traumatic. We have kids from different African countries. We have um, students from Saudi Arabia, some other Asian countries, some South American countries and some European countries. It's a Colorado school of Mines is a very uh, oil rewarded school. Um, it, it, it attracts a lot of people in the oil industry. And a lot of these kids are either stuck with staying in Colorado, not being able to go back home, or are going back home with the uncertainty as to when they'll be back, how long they're going to be gone for, if they're going to be allowed to come back this year, even. It's just a big question up in the air for a lot of different people. And I guess, Dave, do you want to get started on the next topic that will interest our listeners because it has the potential for us to get out and have fun. Again. Yeah,
2: yeah. So this is very tentative in very early stages. I just saw this news today, but I saw that the governors of several states in the Northeast, including New York, New Jersey, I believe Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and perhaps a few others are starting a regional task force where they're going to plan to take steps to essentially reopen the economy and society in tandem. So this would involve the entire Northeast kind of working together to ensure that we have a coordinated response. And I think the governors have said that they're not going to give a specific date yet as to when they expect this to happen. But the fact that this planning has begun is a great step. And I know that there's a similar um, regional task force that's also being set up in on the West Coast where California, Oregon, and Washington are coming together to coordinate their responses and i believe tomorrow which is tuesday um april what is it tuesday april 14th the governor of california gavin newsom is going to be releasing california's plan to reopen the vi- to reopen the state and the economy again but i get, again this is all completely contingent we don't know exactly when this is going to happen and i guess nick do you want to talk a bit about the concerns about opening the society and economy too early
0: yeah i'll talk about the pros and cons uh cons being obviously if we open this up early a lot of projections are showing that if may 1st is a day we can get back out into the world july may be another outbreak of the coronavirus now the good news is uh, that the pros are if we do get back out into the world the economy will bounce back it'll take time but it'll start to be on the upward trend um, A lot of graduating seniors in college or people with internships can look forward to the prospect of having an internship and or fellowship, depending on what your plans are for the summer. And, you know, this, this really is going to be a battle between the economy and the health of our nation. I think the health of our nation takes priority, but ultimately it's not up to us to decide that it's up to the administration and other people involved in state administrations as well so it's important for us to I, I believe it's important for us to be open to any circumstance that may occur any change that may occur that may change the outcome of these days until april 30th the countdown until april 30th or 31st is there i think 30, you're right I think April 30th is when they're going to... I think when the next federal um, stay-at-home guidelines expire is April 30th. Yeah. So fingers crossed we can get back to moving out and doing things pretty soon. But at what cost? And that's what we're going to see coming up in the future from different medical experts, politicians. What will the future hold, the foreseeable future, in terms of the coronavirus? That is exactly right. And I guess...
2: With that, um, unless, uh, Nick, we have any additional – If you, unless you have any additional thoughts on this topic, we definitely want to talk to you all about some contemporary um, parallels in media, I guess, and movies and television that we can see to this scenario. But is there anything you want to say on this topic before we move on?
0: No, I'd, I'd like to jump right in. If that's all right with you, I'm going to start off with a little HBO yeah, go for it. shout yeah. out. Yeah, so Day After Tomorrow is a movie that's on HBO. It features Dennis Quaid and, I believe, Jake Gyllenhaal. And the movie's pretty much about climate change, what happens because of climate change, the worst possible scenario, what happens with climate change. That's why it's a movie and a big blockbuster movie. Uh, I think it's interesting to see how movies like that are resurfacing right now because we're in a, quote here, apocalypse, end quote. um, Yeah, so movies like that that capture the apocalyptic scenario are re-emerging. 2012 is on Netflix. And you see in these movies how people act during a time of crises. And obviously we're not as in a, as drastic of a situation as Day After Tomorrow or 2012 or any of those movies. But a lot of attitudes, a lot of thinking, a lot of just characteristics of people during those movies is played out in reality. And I think it's interesting how uh, script writers and different people of the entertainment background were somehow able to capture what the mentality of the majority of people would be during times like that. Um, Dave, do you want to talk about, uh, I guess, I guess, what are your thoughts on this? And then do you want to talk about? Black yeah. Mirror? Yeah.
2: I guess actually I'll jump right into black mirror. I think that's a good transition. So one of the TV shows that I was very regretful that I did not plug in um, our Netflix recommendations episode is black mirror. Um, I've been a huge fan of the show for years, ever since it came out, I believe in 2015, sometime around 2015. Um, it was originally a British show, but it's increasingly taken on American actors. And it is about various dystopian scenarios that could endanger society in the future. And they take. They mainly look at the implications of technology for society, but they're varied in some ways. And I guess there isn't really. An episode of Black Mirror that perfectly parallels the situation that we're in right now, but the one that I that I feel is closest to the situation we're in is one called Metalhead, and this is an episode where there are these robotic dogs that are, they're killer robotic dogs basically, and they're wandering the earth and they're killing any, I believe at least any human, but possibly any sentient creature that they see, and everyone, the few remaining humans just have to remain inside. Um, terrify this unseen yet ever-present menace. And clearly this is a horrible future that's much worse than the temporary, but the tragic disruption that the coronavirus is causing. And I would just say in general, a lot of the themes of dystopia and societal upheaval that Black Mirror covers can be, there are parallels today. And I guess just one more thing just talking about black mirror episodes in general like almost all of them have negative very scary consequences like i'd recommend every single episode of black mirror to be honest but a couple ones that are particularly scary are white christmas where i believe there's someone is but there are various people who are like imprisoned inside forms of technology that can make them feel like they're stuck for like tens of thousands of years and it seems like a horrible potential outcome for anyone and there are – if you're someone who's looking to be uplifted in this time, to be honest, Black Mirror is probably not, not the show for you. But there's an episode called de Paro where it gets, talks about the possibility of people maintaining a form of artificial afterlife called Hang the DJ, which is kind of about an advanced version of Tinder. But uh, Nick, you've I know you've definitely seen Black Mirror too. Do you have any like thoughts on its parallels to today?
0: Well, as it says in the name, Black Mirror is a reflection of our society, but with a darker twist, darker uh, interpretation of the problems that we encounter today, and I think I think it's so interesting that of all the episodes they've had in Black Mirror, they've had many different genres they've hit in terms of uh, crime or personal conflicts that have played out into social conflicts, but they haven't hit something that's... Directly correlated to the pandemic we've seen and we're living in today, uh, we haven't seen something where it kind of shows us how we've exploited the planet. So the planet finally mm-hmm. exploited us, unless the closest parallel I can draw is that one episode with the robotic bees. But even that is... Oh, I forgot stretch. about that episode. That's a good one. That- yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a movie called The Happening with Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Dashnell and that movie kind of captures what we're going through right now when the earth decides okay we've had enough of people they have a plant that secretes some sort of chemical that causes people to kill themselves and in turn that makes that makes the planet clear up become more green become healthier it's kind of scary what we're seeing today in the world when people have stopped not everyone even but just The majority of the population, just the essential workers are there um, traveling to work and doing things every day. But pollution has cleared up in China, India, different countries that have tons of pollution, even America. Um, It's just so interesting to see how the planet is recovering when we are faltering, when we are at a crisis, when we are suffering. I I just want to see other movies like that, that kind of play out that relationship and I feel like this time period that we're living in right now, Dave, is going to have a big impact on the future in terms of culture, in terms of maybe even religion. People who come up with different religions might say that this abuse of Earth might come back to haunt us. Yeah,
2: I think that's a great point, Nick. And something that that reminds me of is a good friend of mine, Kyle, posted on his Instagram um, a story that it was an Instagram story um, for people who don't know, which is basically a, well, I'd assume you'd all know, because I'm assuming our audience is primarily young, but in case you're not, it's a it's a picture that's basically an infographic. And what it said was, I wish that climate change had the coronavirus as publicist, because in many ways, climate change is as scary, if not much more scary than the disruption that we're going through right now. And it's something that once we hopefully get through the coronavirus crisis with as much of society intact as possible. We can seriously begin to grapple with climate change because the clock is ticking and we
0: are woefully behind, in my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's from a moderate standpoint, not to make this political. Um, but I think that pretty much ends our segment. I'd like to just have a few closing remarks for myself and then you Dave. Um, Again, Lyle made a plug to threesquare.org. Las Vegas, the community is suffering because of this economic downturn, because of coronavirus, because of, uh, I guess, everything that's happening in the world right now. So please, if you have the means and you have the resources, donate to threesquare.org to try to help people in need get the meals they need. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Thank you so much to our 120 listeners so far. You've been amazing. We love doing this for you guys, and we love doing it to pass the time. Dave, all you Yeah, thank you
2: all. I want to reiterate, thank you all so much for continuing to listen to our show and for our support. Again, we recommend that you reach out to us with any potential topic suggestions, or if you yourself would like to come onto the podcast, we'd love to have you. And I guess just one plug in addition to helping out the um, food banks both of Las Vegas and wherever you may be living is... On a smaller scale, a lot of our local small businesses are under a great threat at this time because of the disruption to the economy and the fears, rightful fears, of going outside. So, one thing that, if you want to do on a small scale, that could still be very helpful is if you have a local restaurant or really any business. But I, the one that I feel like this is most applicable to is a restaurant, and you want to buy a gift gift certificate that you can that would allow this business to get the revenue immediately. And once this all ends we can happily go outside again and run around and go to restaurants and movie theaters and everything else this will allow you to get a nice meal that will be free at the time but provide sorely needed revenue for these local businesses to prevent them from going under during this really trying time so yeah that's that's pretty much it for me and uh stay well and we will talk to you soon thank you everybody stay safe